This Story Girl, Chapter 16, The Ghostly Bell Friday was a comfortable day in the household of the kings. Everybody was in good humor. The Story Girl sparkled through several tales that ranged from the Aphrites and Jinns of Eastern myth through the piping days of chivalry down to the homely anecdotes of Carlisle workaday folks. She was in turn an oriental princess behind a silken veil, the bride who followed her bridegroom to the wars of Palestine disguised as a page, a gallant lady who ransomed her diamond necklace, and the Burskirk's girl who joined the sons and daughters of temperance just to see what was into it, and in each impersonation she was so thoroughly the thing impersonated that it was a matter of surprise to us when she emerged from each of the tales to our familiar story girl again. Cecily and Sarah Ray found a sweet new knitted lace pattern in an old magazine and spent a happy afternoon learning it and talking secrets. Patty distinguished himself by catching a rat and being intolerably conceited about it until Sarah Ray cursed him by calling him a dear sweet cat and kissed him between the ears. Then Pat sneaked abjectly off, his tail drooping. He resented being called a sweet cat. He had a sense of humor, had Pat. Very few cats have. And most of them have such an inordinate appetite for flattery that they will swallow any amount of it and thrive thereon. Patty had a finer taste. The story girl and I were the only ones who could pay him compliments to his liking. The story girl would box his ears with her fists and say, Bless your gray heart, Patty. You're a good sort of old rascal. And Pat would purr his satisfaction. I used to take a handful of skin on his back, shake him gently and say, Pat, you've forgotten more than any human being ever knew. And I vowed Patty would lick his chomps with delight. But to be called a sweet cat, oh, Sarah, Sarah. Felicity tried and had the most gratifying luck with a new and complicated cake recipe, a gorgeous compound of plumminess to make your mouth water. The number of eggs she used in it would have shocked Aunt Janet's thrifty soul. But that cake, like beauty, was its own excuse. Uncle Roger ate three slices of it at tea-time and told Felicity she was an artist. The poor man meant it as a compliment, but Felicity, who knew Uncle Blair, was an artist and had a poor opinion of such fry, looked indignant and retorted, indeed, she wasn't. Peter says there's an amount of raspberries back in the maple clearing, said Dan. Supposing we all go after tea and pick some. I'd like to, sighed Felicity, but we'd come home tired and with all the milking to do. You boys better go alone. Peter and I will attend to the milking for one evening, said Uncle Roger. You can all go. I have an idea that a raspberry pie for supper tomorrow night, when the folks come home, would hit the right spot. Accordingly, after tea, we all set off, armed with jugs and cups. Felicity, thoughtful creature, also took a small basket of jelly cookies along with her. 
we had to go back through the maple woods to the extreme end of Uncle Roger's farm, a pretty walk through a world of green whispering boughs and spice-sweet ferns and shifting patches of sunlight. The raspberries were plentiful, and we were not long in filling our receptacles. Then we foregathered around a tiny wood spring and ate the jelly cookies the story girl told us a tale of haunted spring in a mountain glen where a fair white lady dwelt who pledged all comers in a golden cup with jewels bright. And if you drank of the cup with her, said the story girl, her eyes glowing through the em emerald dusk about us, you were never seen in this world again, and you were whisked straightway to fairyland and lived there with a fairy bride, and you never wanted to come back to earth. Because you drank of magic cup, you forgot all your past life, except for one day in every year when you were allowed to remember it. I wish there was such a place as Fairyland, and a way to get to it, said Cecily. I think there is such a place, in spite of Uncle Edward, said the story girl dreamily. I think there's a way of getting there, too, if we could only find it. Well, the story girl was right. There is such a place as Fairyland, but only children can find that way to it. And they do not know that it is Fairyland until they have grown up so old that they have forgotten all the way. One bitter day, when they seek it and cannot find it, they realize that what they have lost and that is the tragedy of life. On that day the gates of Eden are shut behind them, and the age of gold is over. Henceforth they must dwell in the common light of common day. Only a few, who remain children at heart, can ever find that fair lost path again. And blessed are they above mortals. They, and only they, can bring us tidings from that dear country where we once sojourned and from which we must evermore be exiles. The world calls them into singers and poets and artists and storyteller fame, but they are just people who have never forgotten the way to fairyland. As we sat there, the awkward man passed by, with his gun over his shoulder and his dog at his side. He did not look like an awkward man there in the heart of the maple wood. He strode along, right masterfully, and lifted his head with the air of one who was monarch of all he surveyed. The story girl waved to him, and, with delightful audacity, which was part of her character, the awkward man plucked off his hat and swept her a stately and graceful bow. "'I don't understand why they call him an awkward man,' said Cecily, when he was out of earshot. "'You'd understand why if you ever saw him at a party or picnic,' said Felicity, "'trying to pass plates and dropping them whenever a woman looks at him. "'They say it's a pitiful sight to see. "'I must get well acquainted with him before the summer goes on,' said the story girl. "'If I put it off any longer, it will be too late. "'I'm growing up so fast, and Aunt Olivia says I'll have to wear ankle skirts next summer.' If I begin to look grown up, he'll get frightened of me, and then I'll never find out the secret of the golden millstone. Do you think 
He'll ever tell you who Alice is? I asked. I have a notion who Alice is already, said the mysterious creature, but she would tell us nothing more. When the jelly cookies were all eaten, it was high time to be moving homeward, for when the dark comes down, there are more comfortable places than a rustling maple wood and the precincts of a possibly enchanted spring. When we reached the foot of the orchard and entered it through a gap in the hedge, it was the magical, mystical time of between lights. Off to the west was the daffodil glow hanging over the valley of lost sunsets, and Grandfather King's huge willow rose up against it like a rounded mountain of foliage. In the east, above the maple woods, was a silvery sheen that hinted of moonrise, but the orchard was a place of shadows and mysterious sounds. Midway up the open space, in its heart, we met Peter. And if ever a boy was given over to sheer terror, that boy was Peter. His face was as white as a sunburned face could be, and his eyes were brimming with panic. "'Peter, what's the matter?' asked Cecily. "'There's something in the house ringing a bell,' said Peter in a shaky voice. Not the story girl herself could have invested that something with more a creepy horror. We all drew close together. I felt a crinkling feeling along my back, which I had never known before. If Peter had not been so manifestly frightened, we might have thought he was trying to joke us. But such abject terror as his could not have been counterfeit. Nonsense, said Felicity, but her voice shook. There isn't a bell in the house to ring. You must have imagined it, Peter, or else Uncle Roger is trying to fool us. Your Uncle Roger went to Markdale right after milking, said Peter. He locked up the house and gave me the key. There wasn't a soul in there, and I'm sure of it. I drove the cows to the pasture, and I got back about fifteen minutes ago, sat down on the front door steps for a moment, and all at once... I heard a bell ringing in the house eight times. I tell you, I was scared. I made a bolt for the orchard, and you won't catch me near that house till your Uncle Roger comes home. You wouldn't catch any of us doing it. We were almost as badly scared as Peter. There we stood in a huddled, demoralized group. Oh, what an eerie place that orchard was. What shadows, what noises, what spooky swooping of bats. We couldn't look every way at once, and goodness only knew what might be behind you. There can't be anybody in the house, said Felicity. Well, there's the key. Go and see for yourself, said Peter. Felicity had no intention of going and seeing. I think you boys ought to go, she said. You ought to be braver than us. But we ain't, said Felix, candidly. I wouldn't be much scared of anything real, but a haunted house is a different thing. I always thought something had to be done in a place before it could be haunted, said Cecily. Somebody killed or something like that, you know. Nothing like that's ever happened in our family. The Kings have always been respectable. Perhaps it's Emily King's ghost, whispered Felix. She never appeared anywhere but in the orchard, said the story girl. Oh, oh, children, isn't there something under the Uncle Alec's tree? We peered fearfully through the gloom. 
There was something, something that wavered and fluttered, advanced and retreated. That's only my old apron, said Felicity. I hung it there today when I was looking for the white hen's nest. Oh, what shall we do? Uncle Roger may not be back for hours. I can't believe there's anything in the house. Maybe it's only Peg Bowen, suggested Dan. There was not a great deal of comfort in this. We were almost as much afraid of Peg Bowen as we would have been of a ghost. Peter scoffed at the idea. Peg Bowen wasn't in the house before your Uncle Roger locked it up. And how could she get in afterwards? He said, No, it isn't Peg Bowen. It's something that walks. I know a story about a ghost, said the story girl, the ruling passion strong even in extremity. It is about a ghost with eye holes but no eyes. Don't, cried Cecily hysterically. Don't you go on. Don't you say another word. I can't bear it. Don't you? The story girl didn't, but she had said enough. There was something in the quality of a ghost with eye holes but no eyes that froze our young blood. There never were in all the world six more badly scared children than those who huddled in the old king orchard that August night. All at once something leapt from the boughs of a tree and alighted before us. We split the air with a simultaneous shriek. We would have run one and all if there had been anywhere to run to, but there wasn't. All around us were only those shadowy arcades. Then we saw, with shame, that it was only Patty. Pat, Pat, I said, picking him up, feeling a certain comfort in his soft, solid body. Stay with us, old fellow. But Pat would have none of it. He struggled out of my clasp and disappeared over the long grasses with soundless leaps. He was no longer our tame domestic, well-acquainted Patty. He was a strange, furtive animal, a questing beast. Presently the moon rose, but the on that only made matters worse. The shadows had been still before. Now they moved and danced. As the night wind tossed the boughs, the old house, with its dreadful secrets, was white and clear against the dark black background of spruces. We were woefully tired, but we could not sit down because of the grass that was reeking with dew. The family ghost only appears in daylight, said the story girl. I wouldn't mind seeing a ghost in daylight, but after dark is another thing. There's no such thing as a ghost, I said contemptuously. Oh, how I wished I could believe it. Then what rang that bell, said Peter. Bells don't ring themselves. I suppose specially when they ain't anyone in the house to ring em. Oh, will Uncle Roger never come home, sobbed Felicity. I know he'll laugh at us awful, but it's better to be laughed at than scared like this. Uncle Roger did not come until nearly ten. Never was there a more welcome sound than the rumble of his wheels in the lane. We ran to the orchard gate and swarmed across the yard, just as Uncle Roger alighted at the front door. He stared at us in the moonlight. "'Have you tormented anyone into eating more bad berries, Felicity?' he demanded. "'Oh, Uncle Roger, don't go in,' implored Felicity seriously. "'There's something dreadful in there, something that rings a bell. Peter heard it. Don't go in.' 
"'There's no use asking the meaning of this, I suppose,' said Uncle Roger, with calm of despair. "'I've gave you—I've gave up trying to fathom you young ones. "'Peter, where's the key? What yarn have you been telling?' "'I did hear a bell ring,' said Peter stubbornly. "'Uncle Roger unlocked and flung open the front door. "'As he did so, clear and sweet, rang out ten bell-like chimes. "'That's what I heard,' cried Peter. "'There's the bell!' We had to wait until Uncle Roger stopped laughing before we heard the explanation. We thought he would never stop. "'That's Grandfather King's old clock striking,' he said, as soon as he was able to speak. Sammy Prott came along after tea, when we were out to the forge, Peter, and I gave him permission to clean the old clock. He had it going merrily in no time, and now it has almost frightened you poor little monkeys to death.' We heard Uncle Roger chuckling all the way to the barn. Uncle Roger can laugh, said Cecily with a quiver in her voice. But it's no laughing matter to be scared. I just feel sick. I was so frightened. I wouldn't mind if he'd laugh once and have it done with, said Felicity bitterly. But he'll laugh at us for a year and tell the story to every soul that comes to this place. You can't blame him for that, said the story girl. I shall tell it, too. I don't care if the joke is as much on myself as anyone. A story's a story, no matter who it's on. But it is hateful to be laughed at. And grown-ups always do it. I never will when I grow up. I'm a f I must remember to be better. It's all Peter's fault, said Felicity. I do think he might have had more sense than to take a clock striking for a bell ringing. "'I never heard that kind of strike before,' protested Peter. "'It don't sound a bit like other clocks, and the door was shut, and the sound kind of muffled. "'It's all very fine to say you would never have thought so, but I don't believe you would.' "'I wouldn't have,' said the story girl honestly. "'I thought it was a bell when I heard it, and the door opened too. "'Let us be fair, Felicity.' "'I'm dreadful tired,' said Cecily. "'We were all dreadful tired, "'for this was the third night of late hours and nerve-wracking strain. "'But it was over two hours since we had eaten the cookies, "'and Felicity suggested that a saucer full of piece of raspberries and cream "'would not be hard to take. "'It was not, for any one but Cecily, who couldn't swallow a mouthful.' "'I'm glad father and mother will be back tomorrow night,' she said. "'It's too exciting when they're away. That's my opinion.'" Chapter 17 The Proof of the Pudding Felicity was cumbered with many cares the next morning. For one thing, the whole house must be put in apple pie order, and for another, an elaborate supper must be prepared for the expectant return of the travelers that night. Felicity devoted her whole attention to this, and left the secondary preparation of the regular meals to Cecily and the Story Girl. It was agreed that the latter was to make a cornmeal pudding for dinner. In spite of her disaster with the bread the story girl had been taking cooking lessons lessons for felicity all that week and getting on tolerably well although mindful of her former mistake she never ventured on anything without felicity's approval but felicity had no time to oversee her this morning you must intend to the pudding yourself she said 
The recipe's so plain and simple, even you can't go astray. And if there's anything you don't understand, you can ask me. But don't bother me if you can help it. The story girl did not bother her once. The pudding was concocted and baked, as the story girl proudly informed us when we came to the dinner table, all on her own hook. She was very proud of it, and certain, as far as appearance went, it justified her triumph. The slices were smooth and golden, and smothered in a luscious maple sugar sauce which Cecily had compounded, were very fair to view. Nevertheless, although none of us, not even Uncle Roger or Felicity, said a word at the time for fear of hurting the story girl's feeling, the pudding did not taste exactly as it should. It was tough, decidedly tough, lacked the richness of flavor which was customary in Aunt Janet's cornmeal puddings. If it had not been for the abundant supply of sauce, it would have been very dry eating indeed. Eaten it was, however, and to the last crumb. If it were not just what a cornmeal pudding might be, the rest of the bill of fare had been extra good, and our appetites matched it. I wish I were twins so I could eat more, said Dan, when he simply had to stop. What good would being twins do? asked Peter. People who squint can't eat any more than people who don't squint, can they? We could not see any connection between Peter's two questions. What has squinting got to do with twins? asked Dan. Why, twins are just people that squint, aren't they? said Peter. We thought he was trying to be funny until we found out that he was quite in earnest. Then we laughed until Peter got sulky. I don't care, he said. How's a fellow to know? Tommy and Adam Cohen over at Markdale are twins. "'and they're both cross-eyed, so I suppose that was what being twins meant. "'It's all very fine for you fellows to laugh. "'I never went to school half as much as you did, "'and was brought up in Toronto, too. "'If you'd worked out ever since you were seven "'and just got to school in the winter, "'there'd be lots of things you wouldn't know either.' "'Never mind, Peter,' said Cecily. "'You know lots of things they don't.' But Peter was not to be consoled, and took himself off in high indignation. If the story girl laughed at Peter, the mills of the gods ground out his revenge for him in the afternoon. Felicity, having used up all the available cooking materials in the house, had to stop perforce, and she now determined to stuff two new pincushions she had been making for her room. We heard her rummaging in the pantry as we sat on the cool, spruce-shadowed cellar door outside, where Uncle Roger was showing us how to make elderberry pop-guns. Presently she came out, frowning. Cecily, do you know where Mother put the sawdust? She emptied out in that old, beaded pincushion of Grandmother King's. After she had sifted the needles out of it, I thought it was in the tin box— so it is, said Cecily. It isn't. There isn't a speck of sawdust in that box. The story girl's face wore a quiet, indescribable expression, compound of horror and shame. She need not have confessed. If she had held her tongue, the mystery of the sawdust disappearance might have forever remained a mystery. She would have held her tongue, as she afterwards confided to me. 
if it had not been for a horrible fear which flashed into her mind that possibly sawdust pudding were not healthy for people to eat, especially if there might be needles in them. And what if any mischief had been done in, the di in that direction? It was her duty to undo it, if possible, at any cost of ridicule to herself. Oh, Felicity, she said, her voice expressing a very anguish of humiliation. I, I thought that stuff in the box was cornmeal and I used it to make the pudding. Felicity and Cecily stared blankly at the story girl. We boys began to laugh, but were checked midway by Uncle Roger. He was rocking himself back and forth with his hands pressed against his stomach. Oh, he groaned. I've been wondering what those sharp pains I've been feeling ever since dinner meant. I know now. I must have swallowed a needle, several needles, perhaps. I'm done for. The story girl went very white. Oh, Uncle Roger, could it be possible? You couldn't have swallowed a needle without knowing it. It would have stuck in your tongue or your teeth. I didn't chew the pudding, groaned Uncle Roger. It was too tough. I just swallowed the chunks whole. He groaned and twisted and doubled himself up, but he overdid it. He was not as good an actor as the story girl. Felicity looked scornful at him. Uncle Roger, you're not one bit sick, she said. You are just putting on. Felicity, if I die from the effects of eating sawdust pudding flavored with needles, you'll be sorry you ever said such a thing to your poor old uncle, said Uncle Roger reproachfully. Even if there were no needles in it, Sixty-year-old sawdust can't be good for my tummy. I dare say it wasn't even clean. Well, you know everyone has to eat a peck of dirt in his life, giggled Felicity. But nobody has to eat it all at once, retorted Uncle Roger with a grin and a groan. Oh, Sarah Stanley, it's thankful man I am that Aunt Olivia is to be home tonight. You'd have me kilt entirely in a day. I believe you did it on purpose to have a story to tell. Uncle Roger hobbled off to the barn, still holding his stomach. Do you think you really feel sick? asked the story girl anxiously. No, I don't, said Felicity. You needn't worry over him. There's nothing the matter with him. I don't believe there were any needles in the sawdust. Mother sifted it very carefully. I know a story about a man who swallowed a mouse, said the story girl, who would probably have had known a story and tried to tell it if she were being led to the stake. And he ran and wakened up a very tired doctor just as he had got to sleep. Oh, doctor, my son has swallowed a mouse, he cried. What shall I do? Tell him to swallow a cat, roared the poor doctor and slammed his door. Now, if Uncle Roger has swallowed any needles, maybe it would make it right if he swallowed a pincushion. We all laughed, but Felicity soon grew sober. It seems awful to think of eating a sawdust pudding. How on earth did you make such a mistake? It looked like cornmeal, said the story girl, going from white to red in her shame. Well, I'm going to give up cooking and stick to things I can do. And if ever one of you mentions sawdust pudding to me, I'll never tell you another story as long as I live. The threat was effectual. Never did we mention that unholy pudding. 
but the story girl could not so impose silence on the grown-ups, especially Uncle Roger. He tormented her for the rest of the summer. Never a breakfast did he sit down to without gravely inquiring if there we were sure there was no sawdust in the porridge. Not a week of rheumatism did he feel, but he vowed it was due to a needle traveling about his body. And Aunt Olivia was warned to label all the pincushions in the house content sawdust, not intended for pudding. Chapter eighteen, Uncle Roger. An August evening, calm, golden dewless can be very lovely at sunset. Felicity, the Story Girl, Cecily, Sarah Ray, Dan, Felix, and I were in the orchard, sitting on the cool grass at the base of the pulpit stone. In the west was a field of crocus sky, over which pale, cold blossoms were scattered. Uncle Roger had gone earlier in the day to the station to meet the travelers, and the dining-room table was spread with a feast of fat things. "'It's been a jolly week. Take it all round,' said Felix. "'But I'm glad the grown-ups are coming back tonight, especially Uncle Alec.' "'I wonder if they'll bring us anything,' said Dan. "'I'm thinking long.' "'I'm thinking long to hear all about the wedding,' said Felicity, "'who is braiding Timothy's stocks into a collar for Pat. "'You girls are always thinking about weddings and getting married,' said Dan contemptuously. "'We ain't,' said Felicity indignantly. "'I am never going to get married, I think. "'I think it's just horrible, so there.' "'Isn't that wheels?' said Dan. "'Wheels?' it was. Two wagons were driving up the lane.' We rushed to the house, and there were Uncle Alec and Aunt Janet and Aunt Olivia. The excitement was just tremendous. Everybody talked and laughed at once, and it was not until we were all seated round the supper table that conversation grew coherent. What laughter and questionings and telling of tales followed! What smiles and bright eyes and glad voices! Through it all! The blissful purrs of Patty, who sat on the window sill behind the story girl, resounded through the den like Andrew McPherson's bass, just a brr the hall time. Well, I'm thankful to be home again, said Aunt Janet, beaming on us. We had a real nice time, and the Edwards folks were a kind as could be, but give me a home for a steady thing. How has everything gone? How did the children behave, Roger? Like models, said Uncle Roger. They were just as good as gold most of the days. There were times when one couldn't help liking Uncle Roger.